Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Hello, SFFIA listeners. Sharifa and I are actually out this week, but never fear, we have a very special episode for you to listen to instead. The HeyYA folks did a great episode on romanticy which, if you have been under a rock, is romance plus fantasy. It is the hottest trending subgenre that I've seen in a long time. It's all over TikTok. People are making romanticy sections in their best of lists. Like, it's a whole situation. Uh, So if you want to hear more about that, all you have to do is keep listening. And otherwise, we will be back next time. Happy listening. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tears of Price. We are recording this on Friday, October 20th. And yeah, it's nice and autumnal outside and mm. I'm feeling all the cozy vibes. How about you, Erica? Same. Although my landlord is blasting the heat. So no, <laughs> just because they're legally required to, they're like, oh, the law says it full blast. Oh, just like, geez. But outside is nice, though. Outside is nice. That's good. So I'm enjoying that at least. Yes. There's been like one day, one or two days this past month where I was like, oh, my gosh, maybe we should turn on the heat because it was pretty mm. chilly. But like, luckily, it's been really nice. It's been like in the 50s and 60s. And so I haven't really had to like rely on like turning up the heat at all. I try not to turn up the heat much at all until like November. But like I live in Michigan, so that's not always realistic. But it's been pretty nice here. Yeah. The thing is, it's like once it reaches a certain temperature, they have to because people have been crappy about that in the past. But it's like not every day is as cold as that one day. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So it's just like, oh, geez, I'm over here with fans on, (laughs) which I have to turn off to record. Oh, Oh my gosh. It's like summer all over again. Yeah. You're AC. Gee, exactly. It's like, oh, my God. Have you been um, engaging in any like autumnal traditions of yours or anything like that? Um, Well, right now we're like peak beautiful colors here in Michigan. I mean, technically we're probably slightly past the peak, but it's still like really gorgeous. So I like to try to get outside and um, walk around as much as possible just to like enjoy the scenery Um, because very soon it's all going to be, you know, brown and gray and dead. So brown and gray. Yeah. Yeah. I have a bourbon pumpkin candle from Target sitting on my desk right now. Oh, we're fancy. You know, it was five dollars. 
bourbon pumpkin what i was like gotta have that it's been nice absolutely absolutely i light it whenever i i sit down to write and yeah i and oh we're watching the fall of the house of usher on netflix right now i just started i want i'm mm. on episode four like at the end of episode four. Oh my gosh we are i think on episode six Oh, okay, okay, okay. But it's funny because, like, my partner and I got home from work the other day, and we have, like, one of those nights where we're just, like, we made something quick and easy, and we wanted to watch TV while we ate our dinner, which is not something we do all the time, but we're like, you want to watch something while we eat? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) And I pulled up Netflix, and I was like, should we start it? And my lovely spouse looks me dead in the eye and says, well, we can start it, but I'm not, you know, marathoning that tonight. And we went to bed hours later, having watched four episodes. So, (laughs) (laughs) Tirza, what did you do? This is all your fault. You know what? I didn't. Every single time an episode ended, I just looked at them and they were like, okay, another. (laughs) So, but it's hard to put that one down. It is. It's like, ooh, they, they know how to get you with the cliffhangers or whatever. Like, and I'm a weenie, as I've said before. So, but yeah, some of those, this, okay. I'm like stumbling over my words. The episode with the cat actually had me like, where is Saffron right now? (laughs) Because the lights are off and I hear something. And, you know, I love, as much as I love cats, I was like, no, but where is she right now? (laughs) Right. I just need to make sure that my cat is not a demon that's trying to kill me. Yes. No spoilers, guys. No spoilers, but <laughs> no spoilers. I mean, Edgar Allen's based on Edgar Allen Poe stories. Yes. So, which I don't remember the fall of the House of Usher. I don't remember that story, but I remember like Telltale Heart and different stuff. I just haven't read them in a long time. Yeah, Mask of the Red Death. And I, what I like about this, so it's it's directed by Mike Flanagan and created by him, and I think probably written by him as well. And he's the one who did mm-hmm. Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Blind Manor. Yeah. He. Did did the Midnight Club last year, which is a retelling of Christopher Pike YA novel. He does retellings, but he definitely puts his own spin on them. So they mm-hmm. aren't, you know, necessarily stories that you recognize, but you will recognize like characters or elements yeah. or threads. And I think it makes it like really exciting to watch because yeah, like I know a lot of Poe, but like I'm still like every episode I'm like, ooh, how is he going to do this? How is he going to spin that? So it's been really fun. Yeah, definitely. I And I like to, I am not like a super big follower of his, but it's just like these big shows that he's been doing, like leading, directing, whatever. Um, I come to know his name. I noticed at least with the other thing that I watched by him, which was The Haunting of Hill House. He deals with family dynamics in interesting ways. Yeah. I feel like those are things that come up in his shows a lot, at least the two that I've seen. And from what I've heard, because like I said, the other shows you mentioned, I haven't seen yet, but I did watch Haunting of Hill House with my sister back in like 2018, I think it was. And yeah, he does good, like spooky stuff with like family issues, family dynamics, like explores that. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's great. One last note on this show, not The Haunting of Hill House, uh, The Fall of the House of Usher. I was surprised. I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, they all die. Like, why would I want to watch that? (laughs) But it does. And I'm like, oh, but I already know they're all going to. 
it's in the trailer but it's good it's so good no it's it's like the first you know five minutes of the show like you find out this you know patriarch all six of his children have died and you're Mm -hmm. like oh okay and then he he starts to like tell the story you know going back a couple of weeks when they were all still alive and so like yeah you know that they're going to die but this is i think really I'm always impressed at storytelling because sometimes this happens in um, novels as well. Well, they will start the book by being like, this is the story of how this big thing happened. And like, they kind of tell you the ending and you're like, Oh, okay. And then they go back and they're like, okay, now I'm going to tell you. And then if you can get like, you know, through that story and you're getting to the point where you're like, Oh gosh, what's going to happen next? Or like, Oh, I hope they don't die. But like, you know, what's going to happen, but you're still really invested. Like that I think is really excellent storytelling. So I am, I'm hooked. I'm already like, "Mm, can we finish this? Can we wrap this up? Erica, I want to go, you know, watch another episode. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And leave this turning on in the middle of this recording. Oh my God. Yeah. I think that Netflix would probably have a problem with that, but mm, I'm tempted. (laughs) Maybe. They might have a little bit of an issue. Yes. We are not going to plagiarize. Don't worry. No. So no piracy on this podcast. Yes. No. Don't worry. Okay, so our news item of the day, because, you know, unfortunately, our news can't just be what we're watching on Netflix. Unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, So you might have been hearing some rumors slash whispers about scholastic book fairs allowing schools and libraries to opt out of their diverse books. It is indeed a thing that is happening, a story. there was It was first kind of broke, I think, on the Mary Sue, but the NPR has just picked it up and um, it is confirmed that if you want to run a scholastic book fair, you have to opt into diverse books, um, books that engage with like racism and LGBTQI books, but even not like books necessarily about racism, but just like books by authors of color. Those have all been kind of siloed over to a special add-on package called Share Every Story, Celebrate Every Voice, um, which sounds nice. Oh my God. That is so full of it. Wow. The thing is, is like these books just used to be included as part of the package of of the book fair and now it's not and that's really worrying um scholastic is saying that they're doing it to kind of help schools out because in some you know areas it is not necessarily even legal for the book fairs to have diverse books although i'm not even sure if that's true i'm not sure if some of these laws that are restricting books only apply to you know books that the school buys for their curriculum and for their students but like a book fair in my mind should be exempt from that either way it's a really messy situation and I just think like as a reader as a consumer of books and as an author as well it's really discouraging to me to hear that a billion dollar corporation is not willing to take a stand on censorship in our schools and I understand that they from their perspective they're kind of probably worried about the bottom line because if a school decides like oh we can't have these diverse books even in our book fair like they're just not going to have scholastic book fairs but like there's still such a thing as standing up for the right thing to do and I just think like if we can't even get the the billion dollar publishers and those corporations to like stand up against censorship then like we've got a really long road ahead and I think it's a really slippery slope towards censorship and I don't like it I also think that as you said they're 
taking it they're separating okay so it's like they're separating books by authors of color and by queer authors and they're packaging it as if it's like a separate but equal thing like oh these are available you just have to opt in la 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 but i don't feel like they realize what they're doing is is like really kind of hammering down on it's white supremacy honestly because it's like you're saying that if you're not straight and white like straight and white is the standard and anything that is outside of the standard all any of these books that stray outside of that standard at all are grouped into a little package that you have to opt into so they're like substandard they're away from you know um the norm the status quo and i'm like i don't think they realize that's like what they're saying yeah you know i'm just like you're it's literally white it's literally like white supremacy bro i don't know it's it's unbelievable it's really bad and you know another thing that you were talking about you know about how you have to opt in and they're kind of making it seem like oh separate but equal is everything's fine mm-hmm. here's the thing um one of the librarians she's an elementary school librarian who uh kind of really brought a lot of attention to this issue via a tiktok video is actually a personal friend of mine um like we went to grad oh. school together and she opted in and scholastic just didn't send the books they just did not what speak. yeah yeah what uh-huh Okay, so what's what's what really is the truth? What is the truth? Yeah, wow. and I guess you can say like, oh, it might have been like a um, misunderstanding or a clerical error. Please, but it's you know, it, it. I just am not really like interested in giving them the benefit of the doubt when like they're they're really depriving a lot of kids of necessary diverse books and um she really had to like go to bat for them to be like you know send me the diverse books but of course by the time the books got there you know it was like the fourth day of her five-day book fair so you know at least she got them eventually and she could you know buy them for her own library if she wanted to but most of the um, people who are buying books from her book fair did get a chance to see them so i'm like if you can't even be trusted to send the books when people do opt in like that is another sort of i think insidious facet to this whole situation that just makes me really angry what is going on at scholastic weren't they the ones who censored maggie to go to hall's picture book was it yeah yeah so we can drop a link to that story in the show notes but yeah. like a, a very brief sort of overview of that is a few months ago maggie takuta hall who is a ya author but she also um, has written a really fantastic picture book called love in the library and it is about how her grandparents met in the library at an internment prison in uh 1940s when japanese americans were like unlawfully imprisoned imprisoned during world war ii and it's, you know, it's about how they met and it's about how, like, it was a really horrible situation, but, you know, the hope that they found in meeting each other and, and also in books. And um, it has a really fantastic author's note that sort of gives a bit more background info about what was happening at the time. And it's written, you know, at the level for young children to understand. And Scholastic wanted to license her book in their book fairs, but they were like, you need to remove this one paragraph of your author's note where you say that the imprisonment of Japanese people was like racist. 
And she's like, no, nope, won't be doing that. And they did walk it back and they say, oh, no, 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 you can let it stand. We'd love to license your book anyway. But she still said no, because she's like, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to to do well by my book and by my words. So um, I have a lot of respect to her for that, because if you don't know, if you're an author and Scholastic author offers to authorize your book for their book fairs, like that is potentially like thousands of dollars, even tens of thousands of dollars, if you say yes. So for Maggie Takuda Hall to say no, she was likely like losing out on a lot of money um, and an opportunity to get her books in the hands of a lot of readers. So it just, it stinks. It stinks all around. Lots of people, I think, suffer as a result of censorship from, you know, young readers to authors. And I, yeah, I don't know what more to say about it, except for I hate it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Scholastic ain't yeah, they need to get it together. Yeah. In conclusion. In conclusion. <laughs> All right. So on that note, we're going to take a brief break for our first sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. All right. So as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, autumn is here. We love autumn. And it is time to curl up with a great cozy read. You know, whatever your version of cozy looks like, whether that's romance or creepy reads or modern classics or just escapist reads that you crave. And TBR can help you find the perfect books for your fall reading with options curated to your specific reading tastes. So visit mytbr.co to find out more and sign up. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. Okie doke. So we're going to be talking about a trend in the book world that we've been noticing a lot, which um, Mm -hmm. is romanticy mashup of romance and fantasy. Yay. (laughs) I feel like it's always, I don't know, I feel like it's been a thing in YA fantasy for a minute. Yeah. But now I'm seeing it like, seeing it being talked about outright or explicitly, I guess, like... I feel like so much because I like a lot of YA fantasy. I feel like a lot of YA fantasy has has like a romantic aspect. And I think even sometimes people are like, oh, can I have a fantasy without romance? You know, just for when you're, you know, not feeling like having romance. But I don't know. I don't know if you've I don't know if the romance you've read of the romance, if the romance you've read has had fantasy the other way around. Oh, the fantasy I've read has romance. Um, I feel like, okay, so a lot of YA fantasy, like going back, especially to like the early mid-aughts, definitely tended to have romance in it, whether or not it was mm-hmm. like the sole focus. I'm thinking back to like Kristen Kishore, Graceling, like that came out, I think in like 2008. And that was like a huge deal when it came out. And I mean, it's still the, the entire series, if I can borrow a term from the youth. It slaps. It slaps real hard. Um, so I think it's yeah. really... I know. Um, sorry. Hello, my fellow youth. <laughs> Great. Um, people listening are like, oh gosh, why is this millennial trying to act cool? 
But no, it's so good. Like, and I just reread the entire series. And also what struck me as I was reading it is it is romantic. I would not necessarily say it is super heavy on the romance, but romance is an important part. But even more than it being romantic, it's really sex positive. And so that is pretty Hmm. cool. Yeah, I think a lot of my uh, my fantasy reads tend to have romantic interests, but I feel like amping up the romance in a fantasy setting is definitely something that like we can probably thank YA and like like just adult romance for because I feel like there's been more of a demand for that lately and obviously like um the fourth wing is shattering oh, all yeah. these sorts of records I mean the fourth wing the sequel is bringing back midnight release parties and that I think is impressive because I have not seen midnight release parties since like the hunger games days so oh no yeah that's it's been a while yeah and it's it's a huge huge seller and so I think probably like big books like that are probably driving this desire for you know romantic fantasy and romanticy I I mean I guess I'm not sure what the line is I and maybe it depends on the mm. readers like wh- what makes something yeah. just like fantasy with romance versus romanticy you know is it like the level of yeah. romance I don't necessarily think it needs to be like the level of heat but yeah I don't think it's a level of heat I think I think it's I think it depends on I think it depends on the reader I def I definitely think that like within fantasies it has to play like a pretty good role in it to be considered romanticy yeah but i yeah i do think that there's a lot of gray area yeah have you have you read the fourth wing i have not i I haven't read it either i keep meaning to like think like okay i need to pick it up but here's my issue and this is like very much a champagne problem like it's always checked out at the library and I don't necessarily want to spend like $30 on a hardcover if I won't like it. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to be that curmudgeon that waits until I can get it from the library. And and like, I don't know, or somebody <laughs> like lends me their copy or something because, and I keep meaning to like download like a, a Kindle sample or something so I can just like read, you know, the first few pages and see if I'm into it. Um, it's wild to me that like, I will have a lot of friends and authors and readers that like, I really trust their opinions. They seem to be really split down the middle whether or not they think it's fantastic or they're just kind of like so um i I always am curious when you have like a very not necessarily like polarizing but like a book where you know people are just very torn on what they think about it yeah but i love fantasy i love romance i think for me um maybe my issue is that when it comes to the types of fantasy that i like reading I need mm-hmm. more than just a compelling romance um, or mm-hmm. like a, you know, I just, I get picky about my fantasy because I have certain expectations out of fantasy that I don't think are always necessarily conducive to like a very romance forward plot. Okay. So, okay, um, okay, okay. so it's, but like at the same time, I'm like thinking about like the books that I have to talk about today. And I'm like, I loved all these books. So yeah, I just, I guess I'm picky. I'm picky. You have standards. I have standards, dang it. Yes. <laughs> Gosh darn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all that is. It's funny, um, as far as the fourth wing is concerned, I have not heard much about it throughout Book Riot stuff. But of course I've, you know, heard a lot about it outside of Book Riot. Yes. I know it's been doing really well. So it's interesting. I think with very popular books, 
I think they just are more likely to be split down the middle because it's like not everything is going to be everyone's cup of tea. Exactly. But when you have a book like that's being read by more people, there's more likelihood that there are going to be even more people who don't like it just because not everyone likes everything. But I don't know. We'll see. I haven't read it yet, but it's interesting. I definitely see that's a great example of the impact of romanticy and the draw for it. Yes. But I think, you know, whether or not you're you're new to romanticy or whatever, especially but if you are new to romanticy, like just know that like YA has been doing romantic fantasy for a while. Like there's a lot of good uh-huh, stuff. Yes. yes. And there's just, yeah, there's so many great books out there. It was hard for me to actually narrow down what I wanted to talk about today. And then Mm. Erica and I both kind of like, "Mm, should we both talk about this one book? So um, yeah, we have got a lot of good stuff that I think we'll try to get through in a timely manner because we like to ramble. (sighs) We're a couple of rambling, rambling Ronnies. Yes, we're rambling book nerds. We love it. But yes, do you want to kick us off with your first pick? Yes. So I've talked about this book before. Talk about it again. Gosh darn it. (laughs) Um, Yes, it's Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Su Lin Tun. And it was real hot and popping when it came out. And for good reason, apart from a beautiful cover, like the cover just, you know, it does it does what it needs to do. Apart from that, it is a like sprawling, beautifully told, beautifully imagined uh, romanticy that takes place in a world that is inspired by Chinese mythology. So Xing Yin, she grew up on the moon with her mom, and it's been a minute since I read it, but they have um, like a friend. I don't want to say a servant. That seems wrong. But like this, let's say auntie lady. So she grew up on the moon and they live in solitude because unbeknownst to her, she is being hidden from the celestial emperor. Her mother is hiding her for the sake of her own good. Basically, her mother was banished to the moon years ago, and that's why they are there. And her mom is like, don't, you know, don't do anything magical. Don't use your magic, whatever. But then she does early in the book. And the celestial emperor, his people like register that register that magic. And then suddenly they're like, okay, so they like rush to the moon. They're like, all right, so who used this magic? Because you're not authorized to do this. You're in exile. What is going on? And so that sets into motion um, basically the entire story because and Xingyin has to flee um, because they can't know the emperor celestial emperor cannot know about her existence Mm. yeah right so her mom's like just go and her mom is left to deal with the repercussions of the the celestial emperor's people coming to you know um interrogate her and stuff like that so shingen's magic is burgeoning um it's new to her she's still developing it and she goes to the celestial kingdom Um, This new world that she's never been to with all these, you know, magical things and the emperor lives there and all these people, la la la. It's very magical, very interesting. And she pretends to be someone else. Again, can't be found out. And so she actually ends up winning this like competition basically where the emperor's son looks for a companion. Now this is not a romantic thing actually. It's more so like, 
kind of like a brother or sister, a fellow scholar, someone to train with. So it's like a, like a, um, like a companion, basically a sibling kind of thing. Um, she wins that and she becomes the emperor's son's companion. And therein lies the opportunity for the roman part of romanticy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, they like, they like spend a lot of time together. They learn, you know, they, you know, play, not play fight, but like spar is the word I'm looking for. Like they train together, they learn together and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, she's trying to save her mother from exile. And so she's kind of lying this whole time. Right. So then that gives you a lot of like ammo for like, a, you know, a good like reveal or whatever, something scandalous. But then there's also, there is also this third person who complicates things. Might be a little, you know, love geometry, triangles and such. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because she gets sent. This this book is 500 pages, okay? So just, there's, there's, a like, lot. there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. It's really good. It's magical. There are different, I think there's, I wouldn't say there's something for everyone. If you like romance and you like fantasy, you'll like it. But it's also, it's not super straightforward. It's complex. The plot is interesting. I keep meaning to read the second one, but I believe it's a duology, not a trilogy. Yeah, duology. I haven't gotten to it yet because it's all the books. You know what I mean? But yeah, so this is inspired by the legend of Shang-Yi, the Chinese moon goddess. Mm. Also, Xinglian learns about her, who her father was. She don't know who that guy is. Learns about him. He's part of mythology. And all these things start coming together. And then she's like, has to fight these demons. She gets taken hostage. I won't give you any spoilers. It's a lot going on. And I, I really like it. Ooh. So that is Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Su Lin Tun. Awesome. Um, my first pick is Sorcery of Thorns by Margaret Rogerson. Um, I really love this book. Um, it is fantastic. It is set in a world where um, there are these great libraries and they kind of spread throughout the land. They are very, very important places in this fantasy world um, because they kind of contain magic. And in this world, um, the society believes that sorcerers are evil magic is evil so the magic needs to be contained in these libraries and grimoires are kind of like these animated books that can um if they aren't properly contained they can you know go around and actually actually like kill people or hurt people um and cause all sorts of mischief so the protagonist elizabeth she's an orphan she was left at one of the great libraries when she was a baby she's grown up there she's a librarian's apprentice um she you know, totally buys the line that all sorcerers are evil, books must be contained. But then one night, a grimoire, the most dangerous grimoire of the entire library, escapes and um, kills the library director. And Elizabeth is implicated in this. And so all of a sudden, she has to, you know, go and clear her name and prove that she is not responsible for this. And the only person to help her is the sorcerer Nathaniel Thorne and his demon servant named Silas and obviously oh. they they freak Elizabeth out a, a lot because she thinks that they're evil and awful and, and totally terrible but as they go about trying to unravel you know why somebody would frame Elizabeth they uncover a conspiracy and Elizabeth and Nathaniel start falling for each other and it's really fantastic I man this book is so good I would 
Now I want to reread it now that we're talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) It also, it's actually, it's technically a standalone. Like the entire book does stand on its own. The story is resolved um, for the most part through and through. But when I got to the end, I was like, I want a sequel. Like, you know, Mm. the world just felt so rich and so large. Like I I felt Mm. like there could be a sequel. And then earlier this year, Mysteries of Thorn Manor was released, which is actually a novella. And it's a very romantic novella about Elizabeth and um, Nathaniel. And I loved it so much, but I really wanted it to just be a thick sequel, (laughs) like a novel sequel, not a novella. Um, But just know that both of those are really romantic. They're really fun. I really enjoyed them. Ah, some of the most gripping stories are novellas. I'm just like, can you throw like a hundred more word pages to this? Right. Not a hundred words. A hundred pages is what I meant to say. I just need it. I was about to say, yeah, I was like, yeah, I think I heard that the a sequel of that came out. I didn't realize it was a novella, though. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I know. I was so excited when it was announced. I was like, oh, my gosh, we're getting a sequel. And then it was like, <laughs> it's a novella. And I was like, OK, I'm slightly disappointed, but I'm, I'm still excited. And then I read it and I was like, oh, I love it. But yeah, it is only a novella. Hopefully there will be another novel. But yeah, I feel you. I, you know, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingies crossed. Yes, absolutely. So this next book I have not finished, but I keep meaning to. And it's not the book's fault. It is me. I am scatterbrained and I got a lot of a lot of books on my mind. You know what I mean? Yes. So this is Cinderella is Dead by Kaylin Barron. Kaylin is just like all her stuff is like, first of all, it's so interesting. Um, just the premise by itself, but then the actual books themselves are always really well done. She does a lot of good retellings, and I think that a lot of times the main characters are Black, and a lot of times they're queer also. This Poison Heart, You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight, I haven't finished it. I think that's, I, I think the main character is queer in that too. My Dear Henry, um, very interesting stuff. So in Cinderella is Dead, it's 200 years after Cinderella got hitched, basically. But, like, that's where the good parts end. Because even though the society is, like, racially diverse and stuff, it's, like, double down on, like, sexism and homophobia and stuff. And basically, women are expected, I should say girls are expected to get married at a certain time. And if they don't get married by a certain time, then they have to they're sentenced to like hard hard labor i'm laughing as i say it because it just is so terrible and even with that even saying that i'm just like oh this sure this exists somewhere currently even but sophia is turning 16 and she is like i'm not i'm not for this she is in love with this other girl aaron her bestie and she wants to like basically escape with Aaron. But Aaron is like, nah, what if they catch me? So Aaron is like, nah, I can't. But there's this ball that they go to, to get chose, as it were. And it's called King Manford's Annual Ball. And like I said, Sophia wants to escape there. She doesn't want to participate in what her society has lined, lined up for girls such as herself. But during this ball, like as she's 
leaving or whatever, she meets this girl, Constance, who is apparently a descendant of the real Cinderella. She's this like, like fiery redheaded girl. And she is also like, she's like down with the patriarchy, man. And so they get to know each other more. They grow closer and, you know, little, little, little spiciness, little seasoning happens. You know what I mean? And they are trying to basically change society so that girls are not like, you know, basically property and have to either get married or be somebody's workhorse till they die. So it's like, it's the fantasy of it all. It's the romance of it all. And it's the rebellion of it all for me. Yeah. But like I said, I need to finish reading this. Have you have you read this by chance? I have not. It's been on my um, stack for ages. I really enjoyed this Poison Heart. And I also read Kaylin Bayron's um, horror debut, um, You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight. And I really liked both of those. So I need to get to this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an interesting premise. That's why I was like, oh, with this, it's like like what you said with uh, Fourth Wing, like reading, you know, reading like a chapter or something. And then my brain, I'm easily distracted. <laughs> and it's not a DNF type of thing. It's not like, oh, I didn't like it. It's more so just like me. But yeah. I am talking about it. I'm like, once we get off this phone call, phone call, recording, it's not a phone call. <laughs> I'm speaking into a microphone. Get it together, Erica. Um, but yeah, I am hyped to finish this, actually. So again, Cinderella is Dead by Kaylin Bayern. Yeah. Um, so my next pick is Of Fire and Stars by Audrey Coldhurst. And this is the first book in a duology. Um, but I really love this. If you like romanticy, but you like a slow burn romance, this Ooh. one has a delicious slow burn, but the payoff is so nice. Um, so it is about um, a princess named Denalea, Dena for short. Um, she has always known that when she comes of age she's going to be engaged to some distant you know foreign prince and she's gonna have to leave her homeland and she's gonna have to go get married that is her destiny she's always known this and so the book starts um while she is um traveling to her new um homeland where she will uh, marry the prince and she's a bit nervous beside from the fact that like she's gonna go meet this guy that she's been you know arranged a marriage to and she's never been there before and she's leaving her home um she also possesses an affinity for fire magic which mm. is a problem because magic is outlawed in her new country and so she arrives and everything's just very different and this is a country that doesn't like magic they are known for breeding and training war horses and so she can't really ride and they're like ah, nope you're if you're gonna be our future queen like you have to know how to ride a horse and so her fiance's sister also a princess her name is mare and she has is tasked with teaching denna how to ride so they don't really like each other at first but they're having to work together but then somebody is assassinated i won't say who and it's shocking hmm. and it's it's terrible and it kind of throws everybody into um an uproar and Mare and Tena realize that, you know, they are going to have to work together in order to figure out who 
the assassin is and why, because this assassination attempt is an attempt to sort of disrupt the the status quo and the politics of this new land um, that Denna has moved to. But along the way, she's trying to hide her fire magic from Mare, and she's also falling in love with her. So real awkward when you fall in love with the sister of your fiance. But I really liked this one. Yeah, the romance was great. Again, it is a slow burn romance, but like once once you get there, it is a really it's not like super spicy, but like it's just a really great, intense, wonderful romance. And there's not a ton of queer YA romance in fantasy. They, yeah. There's more and more coming out, but like this was like one of the mm-hmm. first ones. Um, aside from like you know Ash by Melinda Lowe, which is you know Melinda Lowe's fantastic, and she really broke mm-hmm. the ceiling on that. But this is another great one that I feel like gets overlooked a lot. So that's a Fire and Stars by Audrey Colthorst, um, and then she has a few other books. Of Ice and Shadows is the sequel. And then there is also a prequel set in the same world called Ink Mistress. And all three are excellent. And I definitely recommend checking them out. I'm still caught up on the girl's name is Mare. And she comes from like a horse kingdom. Is that correct? It's a, it's a nickname. <laughs> I think oh, okay. her, like, I don't remember what her full name is, but it's a nickname. Okay, okay. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I didn't, you were speaking. I was like, I want to say something on this. I want to speak on like, this. I, I want to confirm <laughs> Yeah, that I'm like, did I hear her say that? Maybe she's saying mayor, but still. <laughs> yeah. Mayor. Mayor. Got it. M-A-R-E. Gotcha. Yep. <laughs> oh, my God. She a little, a little on the nose. Just a bit. Just a bit. That does sound really good. I like it in romanticies when they start off kind of like not liking each other, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Enemies to lovers. A little enemies to lovers. In romanticy, enemies to lovers is my favorite trope, I think. I'm, I'm discovering this about myself. Um, but yeah, that sounds really good. All right. So we are going to hear from our other sponsor. So yes, that sounds really good. I have a lot of reading to do <laughs> and hook up these audiobooks. Every time every time we have a, a an episode, I'm just like, oh my God, there's so many books. I'm not usually one who's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll ask you how you feel about this. I, I see some people on the internets, in the book world, on the book internet, as it were, who are like, oh my God, do you ever get stressed out because you can't read everything? And I'm like, why would you get stressed out because <laughs> you can't read anything, bro? Chill. Like like chill out like why would that stress you out I feel like I'm starting to a little like a little bit I'm like dang I wish there was more time um but that's also like I wish I had more time to like relax and read and not have to do adult stuff yeah I think about when I was a kid and um or even just like a teenager before I went off to college I could knock out multiple books in a week yes for the simple fact that i did not have as many responsibilities as i do now um i miss that oh my god i never wanted to grow up as a child you know how kids would be like i can't wait to be i'm like no i like this i like what we we can do (laughs) this is this is comfortable yeah no this is good for me this works for me i'm peak this is my peak i'm peaking i i play video games pokemon and read all day all weekend and the bills were paid the lights were on and i had food (laughs) so um can we go back there anyway yeah so i have a lot of reading to do but that's you know it's fine it's fine the next book i have to talk about is the girl who fell beneath the sea by axie oh 
This is kind of similar to the first one I talked about, Daughter of the Moon Goddess. But it's Korean. So it has Korean mythology, which I am less familiar with, but love reading about. So this is about Mina, who her village is plagued by these terrible storms. And what they do to try to combat the storms is they try to appease the sea god, mm. who is supposed to be like their protector. But clearly they get messed up with these storms. So they're like, bro, like, what can we do for you? We're here for you. Would you like a bride? Because, you know, obviously that's what <laughs> how stories and mythology go. Like, who can we sacrifice to you? Please let us know. Um, so like each year they choose a bride to sacrifice to the sea god in hopes that he will protect them and spare them from this curse of, you know, these terrible, dangerous storms and stuff like that. They're like floods that sweep away entire villages. And then because everything gets ruined, people fight over the resources. So it's just messing everything up. So what's interesting is that to be a sacrifice is going to sound kind of sexist, but I'm gonna work it out. You have to be valuable, right? You, like you sacrifice something that you don't want anyway. It doesn't really matter. What I'm getting at is the girls that get sacrificed are usually like extremely beautiful or skilled in some way. Like the village feels that they will feel that loss once the girls are gone. And again, like I said, it's like sexist, obviously. Um, but that's how it is. And so Mina's brother, her brother, June, he's like the light of her life, basically. Like she super duper loves her brother. June's little boo thing is the girl that was chosen to be the sea god's bride. And they're hoping this is like the final bride they have to give to the sea god to, um, you know, save themselves. And so little Mina, Mina's a little, Mina's a little petty in the beginning. Okay. I, well, I think, cause she's like, I don't really like this girl. Her name is Shim Chong. That's her brother, June's, you know, the girl he likes, the most beautiful girl in the village. And she's like, you know, because June is basically like paying more attention to her. So anyway, Shim Chong has been chosen. So the ceremony to give the sea god his bride that the village chose for him involves basically the girl going out on a little boat or whatever and then being taken away by who you know whomever and she's supposed to be there alone you're not supposed to send warriors which mina's brother june is you're not supposed to have other women or other people which mina is obviously where i'm going with this is that june goes with shim chong to give her moral support in her basically sacrificing herself for the village because, you know, he doesn't want to see her go, but she's going. So he, um, he wants to be there with her to the, her final moments or whatever. And then Mina is like, well, dang, I can't let my brother go off. And so she like jumps in the water or whatever and gets on the boat. So now you got two people. And on top of that, she has a weapon. I forgot to mention that you're not supposed to do that either. So you got all this stuff going on. Uh, they're breaking all the rules and all this stuff. So then, all right, they're floating in this boat. This dragon comes up and they're like, oh my God. So then Mina, some, some little action happens, right? Some little action. I'll let you read it. Then Mina basically winds up in, what is this world called? It's like, well, like the title says, beneath the sea, but it, it's a magical realm like in the sea. She finds herself bound 
to the sea god, but he is actually not the awful person, or, well, not person god that you think he is, and this is, you know, revealed early on. He's actually, like, asleep from an enchantment. So it's like, you know, he's not like this terrible, like, you know, sea creature with a gaping maw or whatever. He's actually just, like, messed up himself. So um, she also encounters these people who are kind of like protecting the sea god and they're like they're real sassy and stuff they're like who are you are you supposed to be here girly like who sent you and she's like i sent myself and they're like so it's a little you know little funny exchanges or whatever so basically she sets out on a quest to awaken the sea god save her village save herself because they clip the red thread that like binds her to the sea god and that compromises her soul so it's very interesting and one of the icy again this enemies enemies to lovers one of the sea god's people he's a little icy at first but something kind of develops between him and mina you know so that's and that again that's like my favorite kind of romantic trope so people have likened this to spirited away and i agree it's like that magical world that kind of exists in between or beneath or something. And it's inspired by Asian mythology, in this case, specifically Korean mythology. So, yes, it's really interesting. Really good. I recommend The Girl Who Fell Beneath the Sea by Axio. Awesome. My next pick is Girls of Paper and Fire by Natasha Nguyen. And this is a first book in a trilogy and it is about this fantasy world where there are various castes so levels of of society um and then the people also take on these characteristics of uh, of animals so like some of their features and characteristics and so that's just kind of interesting it is kind of a not so happy world at the moment because there is a um, leader who is basically stealing away girls to add to his yeah he, he just he takes advantage of them sexually and so he just steals them away yeah it's not that great so content warning for that I, the book is not graphic but a lot of stuff is implied Mm. And um, so the protagonist is Lei, and she has been brought to the king's court. She's been stolen away, and she obviously is terrified, but she also, um, her mother was stolen away years ago, and now she's thinking like, well, you know, this is unfortunate, but maybe if I can get to court, I can figure out what happened to my mom and figure out if maybe she's still alive. Um, And so there she's put into this house with eight other girls. They're taught all of the special skills that they are needed to be the king's consort um, and to be chosen by the king. And she's obviously not thrilled about this at all and thinking like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of it? And that is when she falls in love with another one of the girls that is there. And that is obviously very, very, very forbidden and very dangerous if it is to be revealed. But along the way, she's also trying to figure out what happened to her mother So there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on. Um, This was a really compelling world. Um, Yeah, I remember I blew through the first book and then I had to wait a long time for the next two books. But um, it's a first in a trilogy. The trilogy is all out now. So that is Girls of Paper and Fire. I think that is on my list also, actually. Yes, it is. Okay. Looking at my Goodreads. Okay. So we will hear from our sponsor and come right back. 
Okay, so I wanted to switch it up a little bit and mention a manga for an anime that I really liked that was fun. It's a little lighter on the romance, but the romance is there, and it's kind of like a slower burn. It's Noragami by Adachi Toka, and it's basically about... It, again, deals with Chinese and Japanese mythology. It follows Yato, who is a stray god. He's a stray god because he doesn't have like a, str- a shrine or worshippers will... You had if you don't have a shrine, you don't have worshippers. So because of that, he doesn't have like as much power as he would want. So he does all these odd jobs, uh, everything from like finding kittens and stuff to I don't know raking leaves. He'll do like anything basically um, because he's trying to raise money to build his shrine so he can get followers and therefore become more powerful. He ends up meeting a student, Hiyori, who accompanies him and tries to help him. And also another student, Yukine, who also tries to help him, you know, get his shrine, basically. So this is this is a shonen manga slash anime. Like, you know, obviously you can watch the anime after you read the manga. And the two characters, Yato and... Hiyori, they start to like really care for each other as the story progresses and it becomes like, you know, like a very sweet thing, but there is a lot of action in it as well. It is a shonen manga. Uh, It's an action shonen manga. So it has a lot of interesting, like I said, there are interesting elements of mythology in it and um, a lot of action and I am waiting for new seasons. <laughs> so, yes, that is Noragami, Stray God by Adachi Toka. Um, yeah, and it's also funny, I should say. It's like a fun little funny thing. So, yes. Okay. I'm going to just quickly mention a few more books because we are rapidly running out of time. My um, picks that I wanted to mention, um, these are kind of older books, and I sort of mentioned at the top of the episode, but um, Kristen Kishore's entire Graceling Realms series is excellent. Graceling and Fire in particular, those are the first two books, have a really great romance at the heart of them. Uh, The romance, I would not say, is like super... It's not like the focus of the book. Like there's a lot of action and a lot of plot stuff that's going on outside of the romance, but the romance is pretty integral to the rest of the book. So I highly recommend those. And actually all five of the books that are currently out, um, they do have some sort of romantic, um, you know, threads. Um, I think that the the romance is strongest in Fire and in Graceling, but there's still some really great romance in all, all five of those books. And, even um, some queer romance as well. So definitely check those out. And then the other one that I wanted to mention that Erica and I both love is um, Six Crimson Cranes by Elizabeth Lim. Um, Super great. Um, It's a duology, although there is a spinoff book that just came out, um, I believe. Yep. Her Radiant Curse. Yes. It's like a prequel spinoff thingy. Yeah, a prequel spinoff. So definitely check those out. But I really like Six Crimson Cranes. Um, it is about a girl who is cursed and 
Um, she loses her beloved brothers. She's running away from an arranged marriage. And as she's kind of making her way through this fantasy world, trying to break her curse, um, she meets somebody that she begins to fall for. Really loved it. So uh, those, mm-hmm. those books are all great. Definitely check them out. So many great things. And then we will also drop a, a link in the show notes for a Book Riot article um, for more YA fantasy romance books. So if you want to check those out, you can as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, is there anything else you wanted to add before we sign off, Erica? I think you got it. I think we covered it. All of Elizabeth Lim's, like all her stuff, basically. So good. From what I've seen. Yeah, it's so good. Yes. So, oh, yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in. And please feel free to leave us feedback on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because it lets us know how we're doing, but it also helps others to find us. And you can always drop us a line at heyya.bookriot.com. Don't forget to visit bookrack.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish as well. Thank you to today's sponsor for making the show possible. And thanks as always to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can follow me on Twitter. No, I'm not really on Twitter anymore. I'm on Instagram though, at, at Tears of Price. Um, how about you, Erica? <laughs> I'm on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> no shade intended. <laughs> No, shade intended. No, I'm just kidding. At Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore. Awesome. Well, until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.